0: Cliffcentral.com.
1: Mike Teke is an incredible business leader. He's just recently brought out a book called The Future of Leadership is Collegiality, something which we're going to unpack a little bit in this discussion. But he has an incredible background, which he'll tell us a little bit about himself. Um, I'm interested that he started off as a teacher. And has been working in some of the most high profile and most interesting business sectors in South Africa, including Optimum Coal Holdings, where he was CEO, also the chairperson and controlling shareholder in the Masimong Group, um, Anchor, which is apparently doing exceedingly well, and many other interesting places, including the Richards Bay Coal Terminal and a past president of the Minerals Council of South Africa, also uh, is a non-executive director of ARB, Helwood, and Maton Citrus, but he's also just ended his term as the chairperson of the Council of the University of Johannesburg. So an absolutely fascinating CV this man has. It's a great pleasure, Mike, to have you on the show with us and congratulations on the book. Thank you very much. Thank you. So we've already started a conversation, which I, I should never do when I have a guest because there are now a million things bobbing around in my head, but we, we will start at the beginning. So tell us a little bit about your background because for people who... Don't know you, and you're not the kind of person who
0: loves publicity, but you've done all these amazing things. Tell us where it all started. So it all started in Quatema. I come from a township called Quatema, and I was raised there by my grandmother, staying with several cousins and my sister and my two brothers. And then I matriculated and went to the University of the North. Before that, I worked for a year in Springs at a company called Van Leer as a laborer. I enjoyed that. I was raising money to go to university and then I completed my studies at the University of the North. I was a teacher for a year at Kenneth Masikela High School where I matriculated actually and thereafter I joined Unilever, Bayer, the German multinational, BHP Bulletin, Impala Platinum, then Optimum Coal. Sure. And when we listed Optimum Coal I then came across quite a number of people who were interested in what we were building. And Lenco, the global multinational mining house, bought uh, Optimum. And I decided that I'm going to build more bigger things. And that's when we started working on building what we call Seriti, Massimung, and the other businesses right. that we, we we work on today. Yeah.
1: But- um, I also believe that you you've left out that you were in a in a soccer team where Muzikuzwa was the manager,
0: <laughs> and <laughs> Muzikuzwa started- was the manager of a club called Left and Right at, the, <laughs> at university, and I played in that soccer team, and it was well administered and managed, and there were li- quite a number of people, and I think some of them who will listen to this one day, they, they know that they, they they were rooting for me that one day I will play professional football. They found so. you were very good. They thought so. And uh, my sister Maria didn't want to hear that. My sister wanted me to complete my schooling, finish school, and make sure that I have a profession or something to do. She didn't She didn't see soccer as a profession or something that would make me a mere living. And I decided to abandon it. I think I was 25, 26.
1: I still play. But there's still – apparently there's a video floating around on in the Internet, which many people have seen, of you yes. kicking a ball around. And you still have the talent.
0: I still play, I still exercise every day and uh, during COVID I felt that when we were at times getting bored Saturday, Sunday or during the week when I came back from the office or from the mines then I would change and dress in my soccer gear and play soccer with myself alone and my son would join me at some stage but I still enjoy it yes. And
1: I believe there's also a very important person in your life, your grandmother, who had a profound influence on you. And perhaps, you know, when we get into the book a bit later, it will become clearer. But tell me about her.
0: My grandmother, when I was born, obviously there were no clinics, no hospitals, I'm told. So I was born at home, number nine, Malaza Street in Kutama. And I think she became the midwife or the gynae at the time. And I was born and my mother went back to work later. And she left me with my grandmother. So the person I knew as my mother was my grandmother. And she raised me. She used to walk me to school. When I was a little boy, Gareth, I'm sure you can see my complexion. A lot of people get confused that am I colored, am I black? <laughs> I'm a township black <laughs> youngster at the time. And during apartheid, we know that those uh, classifications were important. Mm-hmm. So people used to tease me. And it never really bothered me, I went to school and my grandmother walked with me to school and we used to have a great conversation with my grandmother walking to school and she would fetch me in the afternoon and she still woke me up at quarter to four the fascinating thing about my grandmother is that Every kid in the house my cousins would sleep during school holidays in other words just because they are not going my grandmother still woke me up specifically <laughs> and helped me wash and i would dress up and sit and watch people going to work so that habit has not gone away and I look back now and say what a great grandmother she was because she left me with those great traits wow. you know
1: I suppose those habits that you learn early in life are the ones that shape the way you behave
0: later on Precisely and to you person. still, you still. I wake still up. wake up early. I still irritate people about work and send them uh, <laughs> WhatsApps and SMSs early in the morning. And uh, when Chiliza Marwala left South Africa f- for the United Nations, he gave it. He gave a great speech, and in his speech, he said he doesn't forget our six a.m. catch-up meetings because I said to him, I, "I don't have time after eight o'clock, so I'll catch him at ten to six when wow. I arrive at the office." And he enjoyed it. Well,
1: there's a lesson also for people who are wondering why they're not taking off and being successful, but they're not up until nine. Sure. Right. So managing all of this, this empire that you've built and all these various businesses, obviously there are lots of people who are, are there as part of your team who manage various things. But for you, it must be a, a major task
0: to, to fit everything in. How do you do that? Well, I have priorities every day that I write down. And often when I go to meetings, I'm very critical of people who walk into meetings empty-handed. That's what I watch. And if people don't write things, I know people have computers, have got cell phones, and they fiddle with their phones. But I don't know what they do with those phones, maybe. (laughs) But what is important, the discipline of writing something down becomes very important. That's what they say in the classics, you know. So that's the first thing. The second one is I am good at something and quite a number of people could, can attest to that. I'm good at being able to say no. There are things that I don't appreciate and that don't appeal to me. Why? Because they don't fit into my day. They don't fit into my priorities. Like now when I live here, I know where I'm headed. I'm going mm-hmm. back to some meeting somewhere and I'll make sure that that meeting must finish on time. I must tell you a funny story that happened to me yesterday at our executive meeting. Our ex-co was supposed to start at 8 o'clock yesterday, and I was in another meeting. And at 7.42, everybody, the members of the ex-co, were sitting in the boardroom waiting for me. And when I walked out of my meeting, I started to ask questions about when are we starting at 8 because everybody must be seated by 7.55, they know. and they. And I walked in, everybody was waiting for me. I love that. Because they wanted to see how I was going to react. Time is money. I love And that. you cannot miss it for anything. So I get a, I get really excitable. I no more get angry as I wrote this book. I've yes. learned that. I have learned to be collegial. But it was <laughs> not me. It was not me. I really get concerned when people joke about time. You know, African time, don't mm. worry, we'll start, to, I'm here, don't worry, it's better late than never. I just don't, those things don't appeal to me. And I take things seriously. All the businesses we've built, we've built within the principles of what I want What I want to see. Right. Yeah. And uh, pu- punctuality is the punctuality politeness is of Punctuality is the kings. politeness of kings, as they so, say.
1: So, Mike, my- <laughs> let's get to this book of yours, which I... I found fascinating. I, I've read it, and there are many things in there that I needed to think about for a long time. It didn't occur to me that they were obvious. Hmm. So you, you've put the word collegiality in the title, which I think is important, and you said now you've actually come to that realization yourself. So you weren't always collegial. No. What does that word mean to you? Because many, many people who are listening to this will go, it sounds like something that's sort of like when people talk about colleagues it's sort of something when people talk about, you know, the academic world. My, my, there's a collegial atmosphere where people learn from each other and they're yes. polite to each other. There are all kinds of niceties.
0: But what does it mean to you? What it means to me is that when I was raised in the world of business, is that for me it was life was a zero-sum ga- zero game. Mm. You know, you go into a meeting, you win. Mm. I used to come across managers who would say, you go for a kill. Right, You know, you fight hard and make sure that you bring this home, you know. So you used to walk into meetings aggressive and fighting yes. and making sure that the next person who's sitting in the room, when they Is walk out of the they must feel that they met you, you know, that type of thing. The second one was you noticed people who were promoted and moving up the ranks that they were behaving that way, right? Mm-hmm. And you felt that you wanted to behave like them. But then… I realized later in life, and the best one is when I worked in human resources, we used to engage in wage negotiations. For a month, we'll be fighting with each other. And on the 11th hour, either you go on strike or not, you end up becoming collegial all of a sudden, and you sign an agreement, and you hug each other, and you say, what were we talking about for the past four or five weeks fighting? I'm sorry, it's like in politics, if you look in the U.S., when they do the budget stories and the stress of saying, do we raise the budget ceiling, at the ceiling just or not? Now. And it happens. Yeah. Kevin McCarthy and, uh, and President, President Biden, Biden. they've yeah. resolved the issue. But for months, these people have been fighting. So I realized that let's learn to be collegial to resolve the issues that relate to the world. Let's try and cooperate on quite a number of things. And I've noticed in our business now, I'm learning, truth be told, it's hard. I keep quiet. At times, there are things I have to say, I want to say, but I don't say them because I'm learning and I believe that it's delivering results. So I felt that let's build on being collegial. And collegial is cooperation and working together. But let's not confuse it with fraternization and ingratiating. Right. You know, there's a person who's sitting mm-hmm. next to me here who plays golf. or oh, there are people who play those sports. Yes. And they would say, on Saturday, I must go and play with my boss. Because probably we become friends and we can start talking about those are the things i try to avoid in life and i'm saying in terms of leadership watch those things as you're becoming cooperative as you collaborate with your team as you're making sure that everybody works well with you and you work well with them don't confuse it
1: maintain a professional
0: Maintain a professional professional distance but <clears throat> let's collaborate let's cooperate but we're not friends That's an interesting thing, and I
1: think many people struggle with that that distinction. They want to be friends because that's ultimately the conclusion of a good relationship, right? Yes. But in business, that's not how it is. You're both working towards the same goal sometimes, but maybe there are personalities that are very different. I mean, just on the concept of collegiality, which you've already explained now – People have different personalities. Yes. And the people who are aggressive and push for a result in a meeting and are time conscious and are more of those lions like you are, and I suspect I'm more like that too. Mm. We don't like sitting and talking about how someone's kids are or how their day was or what they did for this weekend. We want to yes. get to the meat and the and the bones, right? Yes. But for some people, if you don't do that other stuff, they they're
0: not going to be able to deliver anything in that meeting. So when we started in Sariti, there is an interesting thing that I learned and I appreciate and I embraced it was checking in. So when you start a meeting in Sariti, any meeting, mm-hmm. people check in. How mm-hmm. are you? How are things going? Okay. Because are you ready for the meeting? Are you okay for the meeting? Because you don't know what happened last night. That is why people may be grumpy. Yeah, someone might have had a car Somebody accident. a you know, wife is sick. Or, yeah. Precisely. So this checking in thing, truth be told, I bought into it 100%. And okay. as a leader, people must watch you. You can't walk into a room and say, I want everybody to check in except me. So right. I check in and I play that role and it's critical for me. But in the book, I talk about if you can balance things out because the leadership is about balancing things out, Gareth. You know, we talk about communication and you'll ask me a question as a leader. When do I communicate? When I don't don't I communicate? Well, you need to create that balance. Find the balance somewhere. That's why you lead. That's why you're leading. In our lives, we lead and we are able to tell people that if you said to me, let's go and play golf on Saturday or let's go and watch rugby in the afternoon, I am able to say to you, no, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to walk and follow you and end up, as they say in uh, in America, you're drinking Kool-Aid or you drank Kool-Aid because you're subservient, you're obedient. I'm not. You know, I'll tell you, no, I don't do those things. Because I want to create a balance that we collaborate, we cooperate, but.
1: <clears throat> but do, do people all understand this? Because you're very decisive. You know what you're about. You can say no, which I think is such a powerful weapon to have. And once you've learned it, you take it for granted and other people are always impressed by it. Hmm. But for you, it's just what you do on a daily basis. But do other, uh, sometimes work colleagues, sometimes people you meet with at your your own level in business, people you're negotiating with, you're the deal maker. I mean, that's clearly from your 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 history in business. You are the guy who makes deals happen. Yes. Um, do you ever feel like you compromise those principles or that other people
0: expect you to? You do compromise at times, but it's the ability to walk away when you have to. And often there is a good story that the best transaction you've ever done in business, it's the one you didn't do. Wow! Explain that to me. The one you walked away from—that's the best transaction, because you saved yourself you what saved could yourself have been, whatever, whatever right. you walked away. Exactly. So it's the ability, and then comes the issue of friendship, mm. or you know people, or somebody introduced somebody who's in their family, and you're very close to them, and you're worried that I'm going to offend these people if I say no, and you keep quiet, and you 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 you, you travel the journey with people misleading them and on the 11th hour you realize that something is not working so it's going to be difficult for you to tell people the bad news after and saying actually i was not supposed to be part of this trip sure so i'm able to we've identified businesses in our lives where we sit around the table and say we love the business we love the concept but probably on 55 minutes in an hour minute 56 we say you know what thank you we're not coming with you And the person, you know, thinks that 15 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, I thought I've got a partner here. Yeah. You know, so it's the lesson that we need to teach each other.
1: And and honesty seems to be the important part of this. It's critical. And so many people in business think that it's about exactly the opposite. It's about ruthless dishonesty and trying to
0: one up the guy. Yes. Yes. That's an old way of thinking. Yes. It's an old way of thinking. These days we become collegial, we sit around the table and we share the vision. In my case, I'm able to say my dream with Massimo, the company that we run as a family. I see that business becoming a big business because I look for sizable, big things and I'm a long game man. You know, if you ask me, do I buy a business if I commit to a business? It's a long game. It's a long game.
1: And that needs patience which is another part of this collegiality because yes. sometimes building the relationships and forging the 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 deal and also con- contributing to the vision of someone else's business that you might
0: be buying into yes. that's that takes patience yes. you know i'll give an example of peter amitage the ceo of anchor capital right when peter sold the story to quite a number of people including myself that He sees this building, business building, him building a business with an assets under management or assets under um, advisory crossing around 150 billion, going to 500 billion. A lot of people probably would have said, you're telling pork pies now, you know. Yeah, because it wasn't anywhere near that. It wasn't anywhere near that. There was no 100 million or 200 million rand on the table at that time. And if you look at the journey that we've traveled, we are into our 10th year. This business has crossed 100 billion. And you start to sure. say, "Now this man is believable, you know? Right. I stood behind him. But truth be told is you love the personality, you love the work ethic, and you believe the story. And beyond that, for me, it's a story of something big, something great. And I'm a long game guy. I've never gone to Peter and say, I want to sell today. I want to exit I've always said to Peter, I mean this thing for a long, long haul. And all the businesses I've invested in. People who work with us in those businesses, it's families. Some of them are individuals I trust implicitly. And those are the people I'm going to travel this journey until I'm like Charlie Manga at 99.
1: Right. Now he's the guy famously who Warren Buffett exactly. has as a partner who nobody knows about, right? Exactly. He's quiet and gets things done.
0: Just get things done. And makes some
1: very good investment decisions. Exactly. Do we have enough people who think long-term like you in, con- in, con- in a country like South Africa? Because I'm concerned that so many people are thinking about survival and they're thinking about tomorrow, but
0: maybe not very much further than tomorrow. I am coming across young people, very young people, and i have heard say young people between the age of 25 and 40. Some of them have started their careers. Some of them are starting. Some of them want to leave corporate careers, and there's nothing wrong with a corporate career, by the way. They just want to start their own thing. Mm. And those are the people I'm hand-picking now. And if you follow the old... You know, classical story of one starfish at the time. I've identified quite a number of those young people who are keen on building something, and they understand that the journey is going to take quite quite a few steps. I've come across those, and I do come across young people who are bright, who are smart, who will tell you that they want it now. You know, instant gratification. And uh, I always am able to tell people that I don't, I can't make instant coffee. You know. Mm. This thing must grow over a period of time, so they are doing fantastic work and i 've come across quite a number of them yeah. what are the
1: What are the chief characteristics of those people
0: who you you find you want to work with You
1: said good work ethic just now. number
0: one it 's a great work ethic. and you said they 've got a personality <laughs> number two they 've got this personality that says "I can do this number three is you don 't pick up a feeling amongst them that tells you that you 're irritating them when you scream at them. And I do scream at them. And then it cons- contrary it's contrary to my collegial. collegial. It's not very <laughs> collegial. But it's when a father speaks to the son or to right. a daughter, you right. know. And I'm able to say to them, I want you to, to ABC. And those are the people who are driven by goals. But the most important thing I've come across with some of them and not all of them, you come across guys who've got this strong intellectual horsepower. They are smart intellectually, whatever they are into. If is an engineer, she's an engineer. I've found that they understand the principles of that field. You know, I'm not an engineer, but I spend time trying to understand the business of coal. You have to. I tried. And I've got people who are born with that. They went to university. They've got engineering degrees. And those are young people. I won't mention names, but I'm proud to sit with them and they tell me what they are doing. And some of them make so much money that if I say, what are you going to do with this money? They look for, they tell you, I'm looking for a home for this money. (laughs) Where can we invest it? They are not saying, can I buy a car? Can I? They are saying, can I find a home? Why? Because I've. Instill this growth mentality Growth mentality as in Big things, sizable things
1: But that's a curious thing um, The desire to know more Yes The desire to want to understand And you said you're not an engineer You didn't study coal no. you know, Or the chemistry of combustion Or any of that stuff But you know an enormous amount about that Because you want to understand The detail of Precisely. your business
0: Precisely And I spend time with managers Fortunately in my career, I worked for bosses who never made life difficult for me. I might have come across one or two, but the great managers, there's a gentleman called Eddie Schultz. He's in Florida now. He left the country. He's He's retired, but he's the man who spent time with me and taught me those years, what cold was all about. And that is why I can be able to spend time and advise other people who are coming into our business, who are part of the business. And, uh, the other businesses that we buy into as well, mm. I have to learn and understand the businesses we bought into have made us a diversified business. And Gartha I have to make sure that I understand each one of those businesses.
1: Okay. So to go back to collegiality sure. for a second, um, there are certain do not things there. there so you don't scream at people, <laughs> yes. although sometimes none of us can help that, right? Sometimes it's just in your, when you're frustrated, you're going to, the less you do it, obviously the better. Mm. Um, But there are these people who are constantly aggressive, and it does seem to me that they generally get their way most of the time because most people are just so horrified at this behavior that they roll over and let let these people get away with it. Um, Whether it works in the long term or not is a separate issue,
0: right? Mm -hmm. So I say you can scream at people and enjoy screaming at people, but you're destroying other lives. You know, it's mm. something that we never learned when we're young. We used to say, just destroy this person and make sure that they, f- you belittle them and you make sure that you're strong. But it doesn't take, it doesn't work well that way. The second one, it impacts on your own health. Yeah. You can scream at people, but when you close that door in your office, probably you get your own chest pains, right? Definitely. And uh, your sugar levels or your blood level, uh, high blood pressure levels become. And you
1: don't want to be there. And
0: you don't want to be there. And yeah, probably. You feel you're horrible. Like, and you're probably you're not the kind of person who eats well, you don't exercise and the like, and you feel bad on your own physically. But you still continue to with that habit. And I'm saying, what then happens when you're 60. Because you were screaming throughout your career and throwing yeah. things at people. and Early, early heart, heart attacks exactly. and all kinds of things. So I've watched that. That is why I talk about your health issues as well and become important.
1: So a lot of my observation of South African business, if we can look at leadership in this country mm-hmm. – South African business leadership in this country, there are a lot of people who are very good managers, but they're not necessarily leaders. Yes. And sometimes those people end up at the top of a of a company just because they've been there for a very long time. And the leaders have become frustrated and left, and they leave it in the hands of managers. And so the company manages to do a reasonably good job, Yes. but they're not growing. Yes. And they're not necessarily shooting the lights out. Yes. And... It's okay for the managers to acknowledge that they're managers, but very often they call
0: themselves leaders. Do you distinguish between the two? Yes, I have been able to distinguish. There are people who manage businesses very well, Mm. and they manage the paperwork is done, Mm. the governance is done, everything is done uh, up to the last T. All of the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed Mm. properly, and they're managing. But to lead, in other words, to One, inspire growth amongst individuals within the business so that people can grow and aspire for big things. Two, if I said to you as a manager, I want you to look at growing this business, probably you worry about revenue streams and the like instead of saying, what can we acquire? What are the new markets? Where can we go to make this business big? You know, if anybody were to look at Tim Cook when he took over from Steve Jobs... And today, where you're seeing Apple, a two, a three trillion dollar business now, you look back and say, this guy was not a manager. He saw the future. He understands the direction that's go, that this is taking. You look at a company called Nvidia today. Mm. That business, the person who looks at that business today and say, the journey that's being traveled, it's not only managerial. And I'm not, Looking down upon people who are managers. Sure. But as a manager, you need to <clears throat> be aware of the leadership. Things. But is that in the result? Because Tim Cook, who you, you,
1: you reference now, when I saw him take over from Steve Jobs, I think a lot of people,
0: including me, Probably underestimated him and did think he was a manager. We thought this guy comes from supply chain and logistics. Yeah. He operations, understood the operations yeah. and the like. He wants every, Very the truck must arrive on time. The boxes right. must be inside the truck and delivered to the customer. Whereas Steve either. Jobs was this. He was a visionary designer. Precisely. designer Precisely. Creator. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. Same applies with what you see with a person like Elon Musk. Mm. You know, he sees the future. He sees that 20 years time, in 20 years time, things could be different. That's what leadership is all about. People walk in the corridors and they would ask you a a deeply fundamental question. Should I get married? Should I have the second or the third child? Should I buy a car? Is my life going to be better tomorrow because of you as a leader? They don't tell you, but it's in their eyes, right? And you must inspire that confidence. But people who are not sure what's happening in an organisation—those are the people who get their CVs out and they're looking somewhere—and mm-hmm. they get disappointed when they go to the next company. They meet the same guy. They, oh, they look the same. These people, you know. <laughs> but if you're a leader, it's a lesson I taught myself that try and talk to people. But Gareth, you won't satisfy everybody, right? Mm. There are people who are. Rolling Stones, you know. Yeah, and w- when do
1: you know it's time to end a business relationship? That's t- for some people. That's the toughest one. Is yeah. things are going well, it's comfortable. You know, they they've, they're making money. There's there's success, but it's not again. It's not phenomenal success. It's not the kind of thing that inspires people.
0: Yeah, I've come across clever CEOs or smart CEOs. Let me put it that way. Who know that it's time for them to move on. And they are smart enough to say I'm handing the patron to somebody to grow this business. You know, the person who wrote the forward to this book was the CEO of PHP Bulletin Globally, Maris right. Lopos. He knew that his, his his tenure was this much and he identified his successors. He knew that at some stage he will hand over. And those are the people who know that one, my capacity and my capabilities will go this far and my interest but then there are other CEOs who are saying, I want to travel this journey for a long, long time. And I won't mention names. There are quite a number in South Africa who are great CEOs. Sure. They continue to seek opportunities for growth.
1: So it's, re- it's really up to you.
0: It's really up to you, you. If you
1: want to keep growing things. But when you, when you see you can't grow things anymore, it is time to
0: move on. Exactly. Let me give an example mm-hmm. of Sibanye. Uh, uh, Neil, uh, Neil Froneman. Neil Froneman took Sibanye. He took Anglo-Platinum uh, assets. He bought Lonmin. Mm. And we kept and on watching. And at a time
1: where everybody else was saying, don't.
0: Everybody was saying, run for the hills, yeah. right? And he said, terrible margins, getting more right? And I'm going still water. And he went to buy the uh, lithium business. And now he's in Australia. He's continuing to grow. Has anybody ever asked him, Neil, where does it stop? No, because he has a visionary. He has a leader who sees the future. But there could be other CEOs who are saying, you know, it's time up now. I'm 65. I need to move on and somebody young must come and take over. Do you ever feel those pressures? Myself? No. I'd love to build things. I still have a great future ahead. I've worked with people who – I've got a C, – C, my CFO who's worked with me as a partner, as a colleague, uh, Doug Gain, has been with me for 18 years now. Wow. He understands the vision. He understands the journey. He shares the vision that, one, we need to build something big and sizable. Two, he's still enjoying the journey himself, hopefully, and I believe he is. So I'm not one to be saying I want to move on.
1: I'm very relieved because we need people like you who think big and think of the future. And we'll get to your feelings about what may be in the future for this country. And I know you're an optimist and I'm very happy happy to hear that because we need all the optimism we can get at the moment. You know, people respond to leadership and you just said it yourself. They need to know that there's something, something good's coming. Yes. And, and perhaps that's where our politicians miss the beat. But do you ever feel that there's a report card, that there's a, that you're in competition with anyone but yourself. That you look at the balance sheet and go, how am I doing with respect to a Neil or someone else?
0: I tend not to look at it from an envious point of view. I don't envy people's material things, as an example. I'm not interested in somebody driving a big car that
1: can. So if speak. someone says, oh, well, you know, Mike Tech is
0: worth X amount, you don't know what that is. No, number I don't is. care. You've never, honestly, I never don't. bothered to do no, a calculation. I'm bothered about that. I, I don't. <laughs> what I bother. What I worry about every day is that how do we make this country massive, stable, and strong? What I mean by that is I was in Singapore three weeks ago, and as I walk around the streets of Singapore and I'm saying, I'd love to see this in my country. Yes. I'd love to see this in South Africa. What I mean by that, the roads are clean. This is different. And I say, this is what I want for South Africa. And I'm yes. an optimist. I don't want people to leave this country. This is a great country, guys. Singapore doesn't have a mining. They don't have resources. No, in it's fact, a tiny, they're worried about space. land, right? Yeah, they don't have with enough. Us, land. we have the land, mm. we have the resources, we have the people, we have the agriculture. We can compete with anybody. In fact, we can be the powerhouse amongst these 54 African countries. And I think we're punching below our weight. But, so, but maybe this is why your book is so timely. Because what we need is people who can make that happen. Precisely. But then beyond that, in every calamity, there's an opportunity, right? When we see all these worrying trends that are, I looked at the rent the other day and I was comparing the rent and spot and what has happened to our currency. And I'm saying we shouldn't be seeing that. Why? Because we have the capabilities as a country and I would love Muzi knows I grew up in a township in Guatemala. I'd love one day to talk to people who – I'm talking about not voters. I'm not a politician, please. I'm talking about citizens like me. To talk about citizenship issues. Mm. How do we make this country a great country? You know, you see tourists who want to come to South Africa to see something called the Big Five. Who's got the Big Five somewhere out there? And I'm, I'm optimistic that I am going to continue building powerful businesses – and I'm going to I don't create jobs I try to make life better for people
1: Where where can we all Start doing that Where can the average South African Someone who's running a little business of their own Who's inspired by what you've already said Because I have no doubt that this is going to be inspiring To people Where do they start and how do they
0: pick up the pace And what difference can they make Firstly it's the man in the mirror Talk to that man first You know because most of us are good at saying the guy next door is the one who's causing me problems or who, who's going to save me oh he's going to save me yeah. right? so let's talk to the guy in the mirror first the second one is play to your strength you know i find some of the people we're looking for a lot of things there are things i'm not capable of doing right if you said to me would i be able to drive a formula one car or even basically fix your plumbing. Can I do I plumbing? Know. No. no In you know. fact, yeah. my wife knows very well that when it comes to things like <laughs> plumbing, electrical work, and the like, I am going to cause problems. Right? <laughs> yeah. She says to me, this thing doesn't don't work. Try right. it don't it, don't try and fix it. Don't try and fix this. You're good at phoning people, for right. example. Yeah. So those are the things that we need to look at ourselves and say, we're not capable of this. But these ones I'm good. Play to your strength. Mm-hmm. The third one is, I think we need to respect that. This country has got values, right? Let's bring back those old school values. Okay, so let's talk about the values because you
1: also address some of these in the book. Yeah. So what do you think are the good values that will get us back
0: on track? You know, I'd love time is of the essence in anything. You know, when I drive in a township, any township, and I, I'd love to see kids going to school right early on time, mm-hmm. early, early, early. Chiliz Marwala told me a story that in Japan, and I still have to verify that, kids are not driven to school by their parents, must walk to school. It's things like those. But I know that we have infrastructure issues and the like. Secondly, we need to start respecting things like what we own as a country. You know, there are things that belong to us as citizens. The roads belong to us. Yes. We pay tax and yes. they must be clean. Mm-hmm. You know, the amenities that we get, going yeah. to a public hospital, I'd love people to say I can compete with medical aids or private hospitals. I'll go to a public hospital because yes. that hospital services me the same way as a private hospital. So I mean, we've got the we've got the laws that make these things. We've got the laws that make those things.
1: I mean, we talk about human dignity, but the way most people are living and part of it is the, the first thing you said values, you know, the man in the mirror, personal accountability. Absolutely. So we've got to be accountable for our own space. But then beyond that, there is a responsibility where we, I think people have forgotten that we own these things collectively. These don't belong to the government. They belong to us. You know, of when someone house. chops down a streetlight for scrap metal, which you see all over the place now, it drives me mad. I'm thinking,
0: you don't realize that's part of what you own that you're destroying. But truth be told is that we're not creating those opportunities for a better life. Not creating, I didn't say job opportunities. Mm. I'm t- talking about opportunities for people to have a better life. You know, I have young entrepreneurs, small businesses growing, inspiring those young people to wake up in the morning and take advantage of opportunities. There are opportunities out there, but we need to open those doors and start helping young people.
1: And you have mentioned your wife and your, your children. And I think family values are an important part of this too, because it all starts there, right? Yes. It's like, just get the basics right. You know, I think a lot of people struggle and they, they thinking about how they can make a difference in the future. What the, the survival stuff that we spoke about right at the beginning, but like these basic
0: family values are also important. You mentioned your grandmother. You know, Gareth, there's a, there's a comment I make to people that when I was growing up uh, building a, building businesses, my wife used to drive my kids to school. And I learned something that I never did that. I did it probably once or twice just to help her there Mm. and there, but it was never part of my routine. Every day I had to be in the office at 5.36 and push, 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 push. And years later, I was awarded what they call the Brigadier Stokes Memorial Award in the mining industry in 2018, and I reflected on this and I said, yes, I've got this beautiful, it's very few people who get such an award. But I never, ever bonded with my boy and my girl in a car driving them to school. Mm. You take that for granted, right? But it's something that I would have loved to do. And I'd love us to spend time on basic things like those. But Mike,
1: I mean, at the same time, you wouldn't have been able to, to give them the life that they've had. And maybe... It's it swings and balance, uh, swings and, roundabouts, swings and right? roundabouts,
0: I mean, you can't do everything. You can't be everywhere all the time. I agree with you. You catch it in the swings, you lose it in the roundabouts, right? In business, I have said the same story. But when it comes to the private life that you mentioned now in terms of our values, there are things we need to appreciate as human beings. I'd love people to say, I'm coming to live in South Africa. How do I get a passport? I want to get that green passport. I want to be in South Africa. And where would you be? Probably in Switzerland, in Geneva, as an example. Somebody saying, I want to see the big five every day. Yeah. I want to be, uh, there are agriculture opportunities, there are housing opportunities, there's this, that. There. I don't want, I get so depressed when somebody says, how do I leave the country? Oof. It's worries. And we've seen a lot of talent leave the country. And I want these young, talented people to build this country. Because there are opportunities. You need talent. them in
1: your business. I need them in mine. Absolutely. We've got to make, we've got to make this place work. So just quickly on the coal front, because sure. there are a lot of people at the moment, our obsession in this country is energy. Sure. We, we know that there is an energy crisis. We know that the, uh, the there's a minister of electricity now who I'm sure you've met in your dealings with, yes. with coal and ESCOM and everything else. How do you feel this problem is going to be resolved and are you hopeful about its resolution?
0: From a business point of view, I am hopeful that we need to push this journey of having a proper energy mix. Coal will remain baseload for a long time. We coal miners, we are coal miners, and people are saying, Mike, why do you invest in renewables? We invest in renewables because we understand the story of fossil fuels and carbonization. And for us, therefore, to decarbonize, not whitewashing anything, mm. we need to diversify and we identifying opportunities, one. So once we have a proper energy mix, which the journey is there, we need to start telling the population <coughs> of South Africa properly that this is the journey we're traversing. I don't think quite a number of people would, not because they don't know, it's because we don't talk much about that. But, now but, that we're talking about it. But
1: just on this, before we even talk about the rest of it, there's also a lot of political... Toing and froing over renewables, and it's become a very hot topic. I mean, people all over the world, you see climate change protesters, and I think everyone accepts that there are, there are definitely damages human beings are doing to the yes. environment. But we live in a country where we must also be practical. We are practical. We don't, we don't have, we, we, what we do have is the resources in terms of coal to be able to create the power that we need to grow yes. the economy yes. so that we can eventually have more renewables. Yes. But we can't go put the cart before
0: the horse, right? Right. That is why I'm saying the mm. 16 coal-fired power stations we have in the country, we need to spend more time in getting them humming, as in banning those units, producing a coal. So how did it get to the a stage where energy. they're not? We're, we, as I say to you, we're spending time now – We need – you know, I'm one of those people who wouldn't stand on the sidelines and say, let me criticize ESCOM. They are failing. No. I want us to find a solution to the 16 coal-fired power stations. We need to. Sure. Secondly, we need to make sure that our nuclear power station, the only one we have in the – Quebec. Quebec has got 1,970 megawatts. If we can get that humming, then we push in terms of renewables. I'm dead. Will we ever get to a stage where we produce surplus energy again? Yes, we will. One day it will happen, and it won't be long. Sooner we will do it. This is what people want to hear. I'd love to see a stage where, as an industrialist, you must remember, Gareth, if we were to put money into any business, when we invest in any business, your biggest, biggest, biggest cost or expense that sits with you is power. Mm. You need electricity Sure, you, need to, you run a bank, you need electricity mm. You run a factory, you need electricity You well, run how many, a butchery How many businesses Any have
1: business. we seen go under Because they couldn't That's buy what the it diesel is. bills so
0: I, I believe that we'll reach a stage where there's a surplus But in that journey Let's make sure that let's not create the gloom To be worse And people don't know what is happening It's the leadership in me that says I'm an optimist and I'm not a blind optimist sure. because I work in the industry. And
1: you 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 know what's going on there I That's why I'm asking.
0: I understand what's yeah. happening from a technical point of view, from a business point of view, and we can achieve the results. But
1: I think we need also to know that there's going to be some pain still before we get all these things sorted out. You know, and, and as long as people know there's something we're working towards, then when we get there it'll be worth it. Yeah. People don't mind making sacrifices if there's a, if there's a pot of gold at the end of the, of the you rainbow. You
0: know, Garata might say something, it might come across <laughs> a bit controversial. Go on. When a lady says to you, I want a baby and uh. you're married, they know that labor is painful, right? Right. But they want a beautiful baby. Sure. Yeah. That's the same thing. We're going through that pain right now. The issue for me is I'd love every citizen of this country to know that it's painful at the moment. But we will reach a stage, I believe, where we'll have a surplus. I believe we will have enough electricity. I believe that we'll have reliable and and affordable electricity. And every household must have that that power. Right. And I believe we're heading there. But the journey right now is tough.
1: Okay. So because we're on the optimist train at the moment, which I love (laughs) – how do you see South Africa developing and where do you see us going? In your best case scenario, let's let's sketch a vision that Mike Tege has in his head
0: of what South Africa could look like in 15 years from now. You know, this is a country that's not landlocked. We've got ports, mm-hmm. massive ports. We've got deban we've got Richards Bay, we've got East London, we've got across. We've got some countries are landlocked, they've mm-hmm. nothing. Firstly, we need to make sure that those ports deliver Mm -hmm. number two what is the significance of that the significance of that is that any business that runs in this country that wants to expand its markets and grow as an example citrus growers they want their oranges to reach any markets as soon as possible yes we need to work on those things in our case as a country right now our state-owned and entities must be brought back to life proper. You know, I dream of a time, and that dream is going to be realized, where when I go to London and watch trains, the tubes, the tube underground, and you watch, I I want us to go back to those days. I often, I I sit on the Khao train occasionally, Yes. And I think this is marvelous. This is an yes, example of what But I want be done. those things to be done back in the townships but because the infrastructure yes, is and, there. And Transnet and Prasa and these things should be running. Let's bring back those things. Um, I spoke about values earlier. Once we sort that one out, we've got leadership, we've got the people who can talk about. The second one is to sort out those things. Those are the things, when state-owned entities get money from the state, if they're owned by the state, they're the ones that create jobs, Mm. that create jobs and create a better life for people. But beyond that, my biggest dream is that will then sort out our education system. By the way, all these things will be done simultaneously. Yes, I dream of a country, as I said to you, where education – is education is education. I've invested in education. I love education. Healthcare. I want people Gareth, to go to any hospital. I don't want people to go to a private hospital and then others have nowhere to go. People must be able to say, I can go to a public hospital because it's the same as a private hospital. So my vision, the coming 15, 20 years, if we can get all those state ont- entities built up, rebuilt aggressively now two. We need to worry ourselves about things like, obviously, those ports are part of the state-owned entities. Sure, of course. Three, encourage young entrepreneurs to take risks and talk about long-term things. Mm. Then we'll be able to pay for our education. We'll pay for our health care easily because those things are happening. The private sector is strong in South Africa. You know, banks are collapsing all over the place. I'm sure you've read about that. You've had First Republic. you had the Silicon Silicon Valley Valley. Have you ever had anything in South Africa? These banks are strong. The private sector in South Africa is strong. We must build on that. And the RAND? (laughs) The RAND (laughs) is the current. No, no, no. On a serious note. Because it's how we It's the function of seeing things happening. It's the function of not only... Uh, somebody made a comment and then the rent went to 20 rand to the mm. dollar i'm talking about deep fundamental things where us as business in south africa let us run the businesses let's build these businesses not watch us running businesses be part of that story this land will stabilize at some stage but at the, at the moment it's not going to stabilize on paper we need to get the things i've spoken about right
1: there's so much to <coughs> unpack. I suggest that anyone who is interested in more of, of what Mike is talking about here takes a look at the book, The Future of Leadership is Collegiality. And I think there are so many lessons in the book. There are so many lessons that you've shared with us today. It's such a pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you, Gareth. Mike you. take care, everybody. Fantastic.
0: <laughs>